Okay, I'm glad you're here. You know, you, you might wonder why I always bring, begin every talk with, I'm glad you're here, and I'm going to tell you the answer. Because wow. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so um, let's start with the Torah from the Chidush Rim. Something very strong. He, he, from, from Halel, we say this line in, in, in Halel. Pischuli shari tzedek avovam odeya, which means, open for me the gates of righteousness, I will enter them and thank God. So if you wanted to just sort of like get into the kind of the simple progression, the simple narrative of that verse, open for me this gates of righteousness, I will enter them and thank God. You would, you would say, um, um, the gates were closed, God opened them, and now he's, um, he's thanking God for them being opened, and, or now that they're opened, he's going to go and, and thank God. But the Chidush Rim reads this Pasuk, this verse, in, in an amazing way. Open for me the gates of righteousness, I will enter them. Pause and thank God. Meaning to say, what happened? The person in this, in this I guess I'm assuming it's David Amel, King David, he got to the gates of righteousness, he got to the gates and they were closed. Right? And in the Chidush Rim's understanding of this, he's, he's thanking God for having closed the gates because when he encountered the closed gates, he did tshuva, and then they opened, and now he's thanking God for the ability to have done tshuva, which opened the gates, which never would have happened unless he had arrived at the gates and they had been closed. So the way he's reading this Pasuk is, thank you God for closing the gates. <laughs> because now I know to do tshuva. Now I know to return. And now that I'm returning, I see you're opening up the gates. And I never would have done it unless I had encountered obstacles in my life. So, what a beautiful way to go through life. What a beautiful way to go through life. So many people, like Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says, he, he, he paints a, a picture, like a, an epic, really tragic kind of like, uh, you know, story where this, this, this conquering army is going and they're going to, to get to the, 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 the enemy king. And they climb over fortresses and walls and all sorts of battles and they get to the door of the, of the leader who they're trying to capture. And they see that there's a spider web in front of the door. And they just turn around and they go home. <laughs> in other words, the, the idea of how much we've actually been able to overcome just to get to this state in our life. And then sometimes we, after all of those battles, we encounter something as thin as a spider web, which just requires just a little more effort to be wiped away. And then we go, no, we turn around and we go home. So look at the Chidush Rim is, 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 is painting a different picture. That when a person gets to the closed gates, this is cause for celebration. Because now I realize, oh God, I didn't even know that there's something in me that I have to fix and, and you've given me the opportunity to have insight into that thing. So now that I can really move forward in a meaningful way. That an obstacle is an opportunity. 
an, an opportunity for, for insight, for, for self-reflection, for being an even better version of ourselves. You know, I, I, I learned something very interesting. Um, uh, it's like a, kind of like a spiritual slash halachic analysis from Reb Tzadik HaKoyim. So, so he says the following. He says that, you know, n- normally we use the word tzaddik in a general sense, meaning sort of like a holy, righteous person. Someone's a, a tzaddik. That's, that's a, in a very exalted level, Right? So he, he points out from the language in the Gemara that someone can actually be, have this, this term tzaddik applied to them within the category of a mitzvah. Meaning to say, if you've mastered a particular mitzvah, you can be officially, officially a tzaddik in that mitzvah. It's a whole, it's a whole other kind of understanding of that phrase. And he points to the Gemara where he has proof for this. So... So he goes on to say that if someone is really a tzaddik in a mitzvah, then, then God protects them from accidentally violating anything within that. In other words, because they've sort of shown such, such masir snefesh, such love, such, they've overcome such, such, such obstacles in terms of really mastering that particular thing, that that provides a certain spiritual shield for them. And so God will protect them from any accidental mistakes in that area. So he says, so if it happens that you accidentally violate a mitzvah, like you didn't, you didn't mean to, you, you weren't playing any games or anything like that, it wasn't a sign of any spiritual conflict or weakness or anything like that. Normally speaking, you absolutely keep this mitzvah, but it happens to be, oh, I made a mistake and I, I, I did the wrong thing by accident. So Rav Tzadik says, that's a sign to you that you weren't protected from accidental, from an accidental happenstance, which means that you're not a tzaddik in that mitzvah, which means that you still have to do work in that particular mitzvah, which is like a gift because I thought I had already mastered that mitzvah. But now I see from the fact that I was allowed to do a mistake in that mitzvah that I can now go back and I have to realize what is my weakness in that area, which I wouldn't have thought before. So again, this is the same idea as encountering closed gates. And you're thanking God for the closed gates. You make a mistake in a mitzvah and instead of like beating yourself up over it because you did it accidentally, you say, okay, God, I thought that I was done really working through that particular thing. Now I see I have some more work to do in that thing. So that this was actually a gift. You see how the whole psychology of spiritual growth is being turned upside down. Instead of encountering an obstacle and then giving up, or instead of making an accidental mistake in an area and going, uh, you know, how could I have done that? Both of these things are now invitations for further progress in terms of self-mastery or getting closer to God. In areas, you see, the problem is, is that there's so many facets. There's so many facets to life. There's so many facets to heavenly service that, you know, you're juggling like a thousand balls in there at the same time. So it's, it's not always easy to keep track of everything and what your progress is on every single level. That's always, I always think that that's, was one of the amazing things about when the man 
the, the manna fell from heaven in, in the desert. It says, it says in the Gemara that um, it, it would fall as, as if you were, if you were a, a, a very righteous person, that your manna would fall right outside your tent. And if not, you would really have to walk for it. And so what I love about that idea is that every day, so to speak, you got a spiritual report card. <laughs> right? Like you open up the gates, you look down, and it's like, oh, it's not here. Okay, what did I do yesterday? What happened yesterday? Oh, yeah, I had that thing with that person, and we traded words, or, oh, okay, I got I to gotta fix that up. So, so depending on where your mana was, you got instant feedback, so to speak, as to you know where you where you were at. We don't we don't have that luxury in the same way. I know I, I don't I'm not sure who said that. I want to say it was it's the Orchayim, but I, I don't I don't know that for sure. But but that you know one of the kind of the tragedies of of not having prophets, one of the many tragedies of not having prophets. Uh, around today, is that it used to be if a person sort of, God forbid, say, broke their arm, they could go to a prophet and say, why did I break my arm? <laughs> the prophet would tell you, oh yeah, because of this. Like you could fix something on the spot. You know, you could get answers. You know, one, I'll tell you something, one of the roughest, 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 hardest, hardest things is is and I've been there in, in this place in my life for sure, is when, you know, something just is not working. And maybe even over a, a long period of time, which obviously is very, very painful. And you say, God, just tell me what I need to fix and I'll fix it. I don't know what I need to fix. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect. Far from it. But tell me what it is that I need to fix. And there is no answer coming back. And it's very, very hard. So I don't know exactly which rabbi this is. Maybe it's Yorachayim, I'm not sure. But he says that one of the sort of like lingering vestiges of, not quite prophecy, but something that you can sort of like look into as a, as a clue anyway, is if you're having this trouble in a particular area of your life, look into that area of your life. Right, and see if there's a mita connected mita thing going on. Mita connected mita means sort of like um, sort of a mirror reflection. So if 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 someone um, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the positive way. If someone gives a lot of tzedakah, so the Torah says that that person's going to get even more money coming back to them. So that's a mita keneged mita. You're, you're giving money and you're sort of creating this vessel to receive more money. So there's a, a matchup between those two things. And, and the same in, 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 in what I'm saying would apply in, in a less positive sense as well. That if there's an area in your life that you feel as though you're, you're suffering in, to look at your deeds in, in that category in your life. And ask yourself, you know, what is there anything that, that, that I can fix in that in that area? You know? And um, you know, I know that there there there's stories there's stories about people who've wanted to have children and 
and have had trouble. And I'm just telling you stories that I've heard over the years. You know, one one bit of advice is, you know, to what about some past relationships? Were, were there any? Was it was there an old boyfriend girlfriend who who never forgave you? Right? Mm-hmm. That 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 might be something to look into. Uh, or perhaps you never forgave them. You know, maybe maybe that's something. Um, so, but you know, these things are very these things are very mystical, and they're the hands of God. You know, they say there are three categories, three keys, which Hashem holds. One is life. One is money, right? And the other is children. And and these things, these keys are in heaven. So it's it's very it, it it's not it's not a simple calculus. Nonetheless, there are things that we can do, and we try to do whatever we can do. And then that's and then we just move forward. Um, since I'm right there. I, I didn't know if I was going to tell you the story, but uh, we celebrated a happy occasion yesterday uh, on Shabbos, and and the 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 Bali Simcha, the 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 people who were celebrating the the, the 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 this happy occasion said, "Tell the story, tell the story." It said, "This is your story. Tell the story to everyone." So, so since he said that, we're uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell it. So it's Adam and Ashira Silver, and. Um, they got married, and they're like awesome, 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 awesome people. Mm-hmm. And they got they got married, and they were told like straight out by a doctor, "You're not having kids. It's not happening. Wow. And there's no fertility path that you can take. It's just it's just not happening. And 99 percent, it's not happening. And um, and they they were out in in like like a, a forest wooded area, and there was like a cliff. And they, they, they sat down, they, uh, they, they said that they sat down with their legs over the cliff, you know, just sitting down, you know, not, you know, just comfortable looking at the view. It was beautiful, I guess. And they said to each other, what are we going to do? Because the alternatives were like an egg donor or a surrogate or whatever it is, and they, they weren't comfortable with those situations, and they didn't even know what the halachas were regarding them, and they were very confused about them anyway, and they just... They turned to each other and they said, look, we have each other. And they held each other and they cried and they said, and we'll just stop and, and that's, that's, that's what it will be. And they, they, they stood up and they were holding hands. And then out of the woods, there was no one there. Out of, out of the woods, an old woman dressed in tatters walks up to them and she looks at them and Ashira said her eyes were like blue like like the sky and she held both of them both of both of them by the hand and she said don't worry everything is going to be okay and then she walked away and Ashira and Adam walked away and Ashira turned to Adam and said that was weird <laughs> And then she said to him, because the woman was walking in the direction of the cliff. They were walking away from it. 
And she then turned to Adam and said, I bet you, let's turn around, I bet you she's gone. And they turned around, I bet you she's gone. And they turned around and she wasn't there. So, what's the true story? True story. And they said that they said that um, they said that uh, that their daughter had actually. So, so you know the end of the story, obviously. Three years later, three years later, um, it was um, it was Simcha's Torah at the Happy Minion. And there are all these special aliyahs. One of the special aliyahs is called Kol Hana'arim, which is the children's bracha. And you make sort of like a, a chuppah, like a canopy with all the talises, and all the children in the shul get underneath. And um, it's a special, um, you know, calling to the Torah of all the children. And there's a very old uh, Jewish custom that this is a, a segula, a special blessing to have children, if you, if you have this aliyah. So as a fundraiser for um, the shuls over the years and shuls all around the world, and this is considered a, a very positive thing, it's auctioned off to raise money for tzedakah. And um, Adam had just gotten a, a birthday gift, $350 from his father. And his wife said, well, what are you going to do? You know, he said, I want to I use this money to bid for this aliyah, right? And so she said, okay. And, but the Aliyah goes for more than that, you know? And everyone saw that they wanted to bid for this Aliyah and that it was because they wanted to have children. And so everyone in the community started adding on to his money. Wow. And so together it came to something like $1,000 wow. and he wins the bidding and he gets the Aliyah. And nine months later they had their baby no on their wedding anniversary. No way. Right, I have the chills just wow. on their wedding anniversary, and and I told that story, you know, to to my daughters, and I said, is there any question that 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 woman in the forest was Eliyahu, right? Is it? Does anyone have any doubt that that was Eliyahu? And my young daughter looked at me, not in a mean way, but like I was dumb or something, and said. Well, who else would it have been? Like, I mean, like, what a silly even thing to bring up. Like, of course it was Eliyahu. Like, everybody would understand that. So, and then just to add a, just a, a PS to the story, since we almost have the whole full story, but to give you a, 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 just a, a sense of who these people are and how special they are. So, it's a, it, again, talking more about Sugulus, it's a special blessing for the man to, um, when his wife is pregnant, especially toward the end of the pregnancy, to open up the ark um, before the Torah is taken out. And, you know, if you think about it, it, there's sort of like a really sort of beautiful logic to it. Like the Torah scroll inside the ark is like a baby, and you're opening up the ark and you take out the baby. So it's a blessing for an easy childbirth to, to open up the ark. You know, the, the, bless you, the imagery is, is very clear. Um, and so he was, it was the week that she was due and she delivered on her due date. And it's like for her first child, like apparently, you know, 
that never happens that you actually deliver on your due date. <laughs> she delivered on her due date. So this was the Shabbos beforehand. And Adam is a very, you know, very excited, amazing guy. He was so excited. And I was there. I was there. I have a mental picture of this. He opened up the ark with such enthusiasm, he literally ripped the door off the ark. <laughs> I'm, bless you, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating that it took us like several weeks in order to get like a handyman to put the door back on the ark. So this is real. And then, but I never heard the end of the story, you know, which is he came home from shul that day and said, he came home from shul that day and said, you are going to have the easiest childbirth. (laughs) And from the the time she said, we got to go, the baby was born an hour later. Yeah. So, so, you know, as Reb Shlomo would say, what do we know? Right? You see, there's something called mazel. There's something called mazel. And we're in the month of Elul right now. And every month of the year has a tribe that's, a, that's, that, that's assigned to it, that, that correlates with it. And the tribe for the month of Elul is Gad. And if you look at the Rashi, when Leah names Gad, Rashi points out that Gad means Mazel. So this is a month of Mazel. Um, and it makes, it makes a lot of sense, actually, because, and I'll just tell you one more thing, which is, which is that Mazel basically means divine flow. It doesn't mean luck. It doesn't mean luck. Luck, to, dis- to translate mazel as luck, Rabbi Shapiro gets very angry at that thought, and he says it's basically a perversion of the entire concept to, to, to translate mazel as luck. Mm-hmm. Um, mazel means a divine flow. And he says that, Rabbi Shapiro says that the more that you remain in the flow and acknowledge the flow and acknowledge that everything that you have is coming down from God, and it's just from God. Then the, the 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 more comes, the more you're able to access it in a in a positive way. The 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 problem is when people then basically cut it off and say it's mine. See, and and even religious even religious people do this not on purpose. So it's important to to teach this so that so that a person has insight into this so that they don't do it. In other words, here's what, here's a, here would be a common mistake of someone who means well. They would say, everything I have comes from God. So far, so good. And now it's mine. We just blew it. We just blew it. Everything I have comes from God. Great. And now it's mine. Now what you just did was you just basically cut the flow and appropriated it for yourself. The idea is to remain in the flow. To remain 
as a receiver. To remain as a receiver in a state of receiving. See, when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, we, we, we call it Kabbalah Satorah. And we say that the Torah, which means receiving the Torah, meaning that to be in a state of receiving, right? We don't actually call it the giving of the Torah, because if you, that, that's kind of a different dynamic. So a person has to be in a constant state of receiving. And if you're in a constant state of receiving, then you're harmonizing yourself properly in terms of the heavens and the earth. Because we are receivers. That's essentially what it is. I mean, remember, like, this whole realm that we inhabit, Kabbalistically speaking, is called Machus. Machus is, is basically just the one, the only of the sphero that just receives and doesn't give. Because that's actually, that's actually the state of reality. That's why we're called the bride, and God is called the, 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 right, the groom, so to speak. Right? That's, that's, that, that's us. So, it's very important to stay in that way. And Reb Shlomo gave an example. He was talking about the land of Israel, holding on to the land of Israel. And he gave this very beautiful um, example which 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 talks which helps to clarify and further visualize what we're talking about this idea of receiving. He says, imagine a man comes home and he sees that his wife um, isn't wearing her wedding ring, and he says to her, "Where's the wedding ring?" And she says, "Well, you gave it to me, so it's mine. So I gave it to someone else." <laughs> so maybe, like according to like California law you could argue that maybe that makes sense. He gave it to her. It's her possession. As her possession, she can do what she wants with it. She decided what she wanted to do with it. Legally speaking, you could make a case that there's nothing wrong happened whatsoever. And yet, every bone in your body says, no, that's totally wrong. It's totally wrong. Why is it totally wrong? And uh, this is important. It's, it's completely wrong because there are certain gifts that even after they've been given, like you could point to a, like a calendar and a clock and you could say that it was given at this moment, but still it's in a category where the giving never stops. Yes, in time and space something was transacted, but there's a higher category, a type of giving, a type of receiving, which is ongoing. And that's the nature of our mazel. We, we don't want to be the person who goes, okay, you gave me these talents, now they're mine. Thank you, God. I'm thanking you, God, because I know they came from you. It's so close to being right. <laughs> it's so close to being right, but it's so far from being right. It's like a little thing, which is a giant thing. To stay in this state of, you see, because... When a person stays in the state of being a receiver, see, the Chudush Arim points to something else in the beginning of Parsha Shavti. He says that you have to judge righteously. You have to judge people righteously. How do you judge people righteously? So there's a phrase in the very beginning of that Pasuk that says, Titan Lecha, that, that if you understand, Titan Lecha means given to you. If you understand that everything that you have is given to you, so you say, well, 
whatever I have. You see, everyone has a category where they um, where they think they're they're um, better or different from everyone else. So there are there is they're the more obvious ones. Oh, I'm a top model. I'm, 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 even if they don't mean this in an arrogant way, I'm better than you because I'm on the cover of every magazine. Or I have giant holdings in real estate, so I'm better than you, right? Because I have this. Or, listen to this, it gets deeper. I have nothing and I suffer. My suffering makes me better than you. <laughs> Don't, don't, think, don't think it doesn't go in that direction as well. Don't think it doesn't go in that direction as well. Right? Or, or I think that everything comes from God. And I'm so good at thinking that everything comes from God, I'm better than you. <laughs> Do you understand how the Yetzirah, well, it, it, it attacks at every level. It attacks at every single level. 360. So a person has to be for real. They have to understand, no, really, everything I have comes from God. No, really. And therefore, since everything I have that comes from, comes from God, and everything you have that comes from God, whatever it is, good or bad, and everything you have that comes from God, so we're all equal. And when a person gets to that place of really understanding that we're all equal, then they can judge another person with righteousness. Because they're not using their own special whatever as some leverage point of superiority. Right? Or I have no special trait at all. Yeah, you think you're better than me because you have achieved the state of saying I have no special trait at all. <laughs> you know, you think to be nothing is simple. Right? People think, oh, you know, I have low esteem, so I'm nothing. That's, man, that is not what it means to be nothing. You have to actually understand your own greatness before you even have the opportunity to understand that you're nothing. There's a famous story, one of the great stories I heard from Reb Shlomo, that, that a rabbi went to investigate, like, what's going on in Kutsk? Right? It was known a great fire burns in Kutsk. And in Kutsk, it's like, you know, you had a fur coat. Are you joking me? You're walking around in a fur coat? Are you kidding around? Right? You're, you, I, 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 someone says something deep, you know, at the shear, and the person says that was so deep. You're flattering me? We're here to learn Torah, and you're, you're sitting here flattering me? Like... Kutsk was So, word got out, like, you know, something's going on there. And this rabbi, who wasn't a chassid, comes to look around to check things out. And he was a Talmud Chacham, meaning to say he had learned a lot of Torah. And he sees no one's standing up for him. No one's giving him any due at all. And he notices at some point that in Kutsk they only stand for two people, the Rebbe. And for someone who was so poor, he literally couldn't afford a yarmulke. He wore a leaf on his head for a yarmulke. 
and they would stand for him. And he didn't know any. He didn't know anything. And so he was like, I understand them standing for the Rebbe, but how are they standing for this person? And it was explained to him that that person is nothing, and he's not arrogant about it. That he really is nothing. And he doesn't use that as a point to make himself superior over other people who strive to reach that state. So the Chedush says something very amazing. Everybody knows Elul is Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, right? It's an acronym, the first letters of that, from the Song of Songs, Shir Shir. Remember, there, there are many paradigms for our relationship with God. There's God as our father, God as our mother, God as king, right? God is our best friend. And then we have God as our lover, right? And that's Shira Shirim. And that's by Shlomo Amelech, King Solomon. And Rabbi Akiva says, everything is, all the Torah is holy, but Shira Shirim is the holy of holies, right? Because again, everything that we're doing, everything that we're learning, everything that we're striving for is to create that sense of intimacy in terms of our relationship with God. To know that he's there at all times and to have a direct ongoing relationship with him. That's, that's the point of all of this. That's the point of all of this. So this phrase, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine, that's the, that's the first letters of, of the month of Elul. Anila dodi vidodi li. So the Chedush points out something very fascinating, which is that there's four words there, and each of those four words ends with the letter Yud. So there's, you know, Yud is like, like the highest. By the way, the, every month has a letter assigned to it, and the letter assigned to the month of Elul is the letter Yud. So he says that those four Yuds of Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li are the four Shabbases of Elul. So, it's, this, is, this is awesome. So now let's get back to this idea of Elul as Mazel, right? And Elul as Gad. Remember, Elul is, every month has a tribe. It's the month of Gad. And if you look at the naming of Gad in the Torah, Rashi points out that the verse means that Gad means Mazel. And Mazel means this divine flow, that we want to stay in the flow. We don't want to cut ourselves off from the flow. So Rabbi Shapiro, Alavashalom, points out something very beautiful, just a great correlation, which is that everybody knows that the um, land that Gad took was outside of the, on the other side of the Jordan, right? Because remember, um, Ruvain and Gad and Menashe got to the banks of the Jordan as they were about to pass over the Jordan into Israel. And they said, this land is like great for what we do best. Like we're, we've got these great cattle holdings, and this, this land is fantastic for that. So Gad got that, um, that land on, on the edge, on the edge of Israel. Now listen to this. This is such a beautiful correlation. What is Elul, since Gad is Elul? So Gad is on the edge of Israel. What is, what is Elul? It's the edge of the year, right? Because 
because the year starts again in Tishrei, <laughs> the next month. So, El, so Elul is the border, it's the border of the previous year. And it's, it's the month of Gad, which is also the border in the land. So here you see this time-space correlation with Gad and Elul and Israel and Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's great. It's great. So over the years, I've <coughs> just uh, held on to this coming thought, this piece of imagery, and I, I just want to share it with you because this is where we are right now. See, we've gotten through, we've gotten through a lot to get here right now. We've gotten through Tammuz and Av, which is the three weeks, which is so hard. And, and that's kind of like, imagine, imagine you're like going through uh, Detroit at 2 a.m., you know, with like blown out windows and abandoned buildings, and it's just like barking scary dogs in the middle of the night. It's like you're with a group of people, and the strategy is, Let's be close with each other. Like, if we're going to make it through this, we need to be close with each other. And again, what's the fixing for, for Tammuz and Av is that we spoke Lush and Har against each other, Sinis Chinim, which is hating each other for no reason. That's distancing ourselves. So in other words, if we want to get through that bad neighborhood, what's the fixing of that? We all got to be super close, right? So we get, we get close, we get through it, and then we enter into Elul, right? Elul is the, is, is the king is in the field. All of a sudden we got out of the bad neighborhood. Now we're in these beautiful pastures. And we can see something ahead. What's ahead? It's the base of Migdash. And remember the Jikova Rebbe, one of the greatest gematrias of all time. The Jikova Rebbe says, uh, points out, I, I've done the math, it's of course true that the gematria of Beis HaMikdash is Rosh Hashanah. Amazing, amazing. You can do dozens of Torahs off of that. Right? So we get out of the bad neighborhood. The king is in the field, right? We're like, and we can see in the distance the Beis HaMikdash, which is gematria Rosh Hashanah. That's Elul. So we're in Elul and we're heading toward, we're heading toward the base of Migdash, right? To proclaim God King. And so, so there's so much, there's so much, there's so many opportunities in, in Elul. Remember, we wanted to say that, that, the, the, that the kickoff for Elul is really an Av, right? Like, and that Av is, is Olive Bays, right? And remember, 40 days before a child is, is born or conceived, that the parents are called out, that's already 40 days before the first day of creation. The first day of creation is the 25th of Elul. 40 days before is Tuba'av. And as the B'nai Asaskar says, who are the marriage partners being called out 40 days before the birth of the world? Is Hashem and the Jewish people, right? And what does that mean? It's a day of Shaduchim, a day that where couples are getting together. So I wanted to say on another level that it's the Shaduchim of the Osios. It's the Shaduchim of the Olive Bays, right? Because it's the 15th of Av. All the letters are starting to form for the new year. 
right? See, if before someone can write a decree, you know what's the best idea before they can even... See, I'll tell you one level, but this is a very exalted level. God forbid a decree is written up, and then you rip up the decree. Like, these are our gedolim, these are our tzaddikim who are able to do that. But how about, how about this idea? Before they write the decree, <laughs> you take away the pen and ink. <laughs> How's that for a strategy? Right? So this is now already the time of the pen and the ink. Or you get them to write something good. So, you know, it says, Sur meirava aseto. Do good and refrain from bad. We want good decrees and we don't want bad decrees. And it seems to me, if this is the time when the osios, when the letters of creation are forming, right? This is a time when it's sort of like so propitious, it's such a positive time through our own actions, right? To bring down, like, the best, best, best energy, the best, best, best mazel. Um, my, my, my father-in-law, Olavashon, said mazel is, stands for makom zman lasos. That's the first letters. Makom means place. Zman means time. Lasos means to do something. So in other words, mazel means it's not just that you're in the right place in the right time. You have to be in the right place at the right time and do something. Right? Because maybe you somehow like entered into you know, some place, and there's the guy who you've been wanting to be in contact with. Right? Now you have to do something. Right? And that's, and that's this partnership that God makes with us. And, and this is just, this is the hard part about, you know, this path, which is the true path, which is that we, we just want God to do that part. <laughs> and we have to do that part. And then God will then make it successful. But but to sort of like get up to the the the, the, the general's door and then to see the spider web and then to turn back the other way we can't allow ourselves to be that person. And I'll just tell you a bit of advice from my father, which um, I thought about all the time, which is you can't lose what you never had. You can't lose what you never had. And I'll tell you one of the ways the Yetzirah works on us is that we, let's say we'll have an idea Maybe it's an idea for a business or an idea for something that, 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 and, and we keep it inside ourselves and we don't do anything with it. 
And here's the perverse psychology of it, okay? As long as it's inside of me, it's a trillion dollar idea. <laughs> So why aren't you doing anything with it? Because maybe it's, maybe no one wants it. <laughs> and I'm afraid to give up this fantasy or this dream of it being a trillion dollar idea. But you can't lose what you never had. Meaning if it wasn't anything to begin with, you won't lose anything if you put it out there. And unless you put it out there, you won't ever know whether it's something that gets people excited. So, but that, that requires a, a level of courage, a level, a level of courage. See, because it's a little more complicated psychologically. My father, again, Allah Shalom, pointed out that people stay in relationships, even abusive relationships, because they're getting something out of the relationship. This is something, something strange, you know, but this is human nature. Let's say someone uh, is in a relationship with s someone who calls them stupid all the time. So you say, well, what is that person getting out of that relationship? Well, what if that person thinks that they're trash? And it, it's actually oddly reassuring to hear the, them called stupid all the time. Or that they don't deserve anything in life. So why shouldn't I get beaten up if I don't deserve anything? They're right. They're right to beat me up because who am I? I'm nothing. I don't deserve anything. It's a very perverse psychology. It's a very perverse psychology. So, we, we have to look at our relationships and we have to free ourselves from, from these type of relationships and we have to understand our value and if it means distancing yourself from someone who is always there for you and it's a very comfortable relationship but that the person ultimately is not honoring you or respecting you in the way that you need to be respected, then we have to distance ourselves from those, those type of relationships. And we have to move on, as painful as that is, because there's a certain familiarity, which is very comforting and everything like that. But if it's keeping you locked up in a cage, then what do you need it for ultimately? You know? It's, uh, you know, Reb Shlomo would talk about in the, in, the, in the harshest ways, the phrase that he would use is, you know, like, why are you cutting off my wings? Like, people who cut off other people's wings. You know, like, he would say, like, one of the worst things, like, imagine someone's late to shul all the time, right? And then... They, they, they come on time for sure because they're really working on trying to get on time for sure. And then someone says to them, what are you doing over here? Like looking at the, their watch in an exaggerated way, like is there something wrong? You're on time. 
You know, like, oh, you're such a genius comedian, you know? Like, and meanwhile, what are they doing? They're cutting off the person's wings. The person's trying to do better, and it's like, you're not allowing them to do better. And you think you're a comedian at the time? You know what? Those type of jokes keep to yourself. Those are hurtful jokes. And in that same category, there are other people who, let's say someone's really trying not to speak Lashon Hara, they, 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 they want to say the right thing, and they start to say something that's not, not proper, and then they realize before they've said it and they stop themselves, and the other person goes, oh, come on, come on, you started. You, you know what the rule is. You started to say something incredibly hurtful and destructive. You have to finish. What? What, what, what actually is the logic of that thought? You pulled out your gun and you were about to shoot that old lady. Come on, you got to murder her. You know the rule. What are you talking about? So, you know, they say, they say, I've never observed this, but they say that, they talk about the example of crabs in a barrel. And they say that, that crabs are, they try to crawl out and that there's this, I guess this phenomenon that people have observed that the crabs on the bottom will grab the, the, the bottom leg or whatever it is of the crab above them and pull them back down. So, also I'm treading water that when you try to save someone, it also that happens that uh, swimming, you know, it's the same kind of phenomenon. Someone's panicking and they, you're trying to save them and they literally pull you, drag you down. Interesting. Rules about yeah. how you supposed to save someone in the water. Yeah. Because you enter into a whole different logic or whatever it is. You know, there's sort of like the, you know. So let's not be crabs, right? <laughs> Let's not be crabs. Someone's trying to improve themselves. This is the best thing, right? Remember Rip Shlomo's definition of a, of a good friend and a best friend. A good friend is someone when I'm around them, I want to be a better person. A best friend, when I'm around them, I'm already a better person. <laughs> you know? So let's try to be like good friends or best friends to people. You know? We're just, your presence makes other people want to just be better. Or actually makes them better. Um, Shall we do a little more? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So, this is, this is, um, one more point. Just one more point. Which is which is dealing with um you know, we've talked about we've talked about several times the idea, but I wanna go a little bit deeper right now. We've talked about the idea of turning uh emuna, faith, belief into knowledge. Right? Like, and, and we even gave an example a few weeks ago. I think we called the talk, um, 
your soul is a periscope. Right? So, so I want you to say the following, which is the mind believes, but the soul knows. Okay, so what, what's an example of that? So imagine, imagine there's a submarine underwater. Okay, and you've got... So it can't see the dry land, right? Because it's submerged underwater. But you have this thing called a periscope, right? Which sort of like protrudes up from the, from the top of the submarine until it breaks the water surface and it can peer around and it can see dry land, right? So that's very much, I think, a very close analogy for what our soul is. Because we're sort of immersed in this world, which is so crazy. It's like we're underwater, so to speak. You know, it's not clear what's going on, really. And, 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 but at the same time, we, we have this soul. And, and everybody knows there's five parts to the soul, three parts inside of you. And then there's two parts that, it's one continuum, that extend outside you. And these two parts, the Chai and the Yechida, go all the way up to the throne of glory. Basically, all the way to the highest heavens. So, so our soul is like a periscope. <laughs> it's like our body is like the submarine. We're like submersed in this world. We can't see past it. But just like a submarine can send up a periscope and break through the water and see dry land, our soul extends beyond us and our soul sees the heavens and knows the reality. So our soul knows our mind beliefs. So that's step one. Step two is, but I want my mind to know also. <laughs> so how can I turn belief into knowledge? How can I turn belief into knowledge? And I saw, like... So we wanted to say, we wanted to say different things, but then I saw just a very clear answer. And I was like, wow, here it is. Here's the answer. The answer is right here. Um, there's a, a beautiful uh, section that we, that we say uh, from Yeshaya, the, the prophet Isaiah. We actually say it every morning. Men say it every morning when they put on tefillin. And it's something that... Uh, they say at a lot of weddings as well. Um, interestingly, the, this is from the Haftarah, um, or this section of uh, Yeshaya was incorporated into the Haftarah. And we say this right before um, Shavuos every year, um, which is the marriage between us and God. Right? Mount Sinai is heaven and earth coming together. And I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you in English. It's Verestichli Leolam. I will betroth you to me forever. Right? This is what you're saying as you're wrapping the tefillin. Right? It's like it's like this 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 divine wedding ring that you're putting on yourself. Verestichli betzedek uvemishpat uvechesed uverachamim, and I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, kindness, and mercy. And I listen to this last part. These are the, this is the final part of it. Verestichli be'amuna v'yadatet Adonai. 
So emuna means faith. Remember, what are we talking about? We're saying that I want my mind to know too. I don't want it just to be my soul. I want my mind to know too. Right now my mind just believes, but I want my mind to know. So emuna means belief. Das means to know. Listen to this phrase. Veristikli bemuna. I will betroth you to me with faith and you will know Hashem. <laughs> you see that little magic trick that just happened in front of our eyes? How Amuna just got turned into Das? Right? Veristikli bemuna via Das es Hashem. How did Amuna just right in front of our eyes just go from I'll, be, I'll betroth you with Amuna and I'll know you and I'm going to know God. How did that happen? Through through love. <laughs> right? What's the whole betrothing process? What is the whole merging process that happens under the chuppah at Mount Sinai? It's all about love. If you want your emuna to become knowledge, if you want that, the secret of the alchemy, where emuna, where faith becomes knowledge, the agency is love. You know, just, just to give you just a further support of this, just so you know that I'm being very serious right now. You know, we say in the prayers, Shema Yisrael, Shem Elkeinu, Shem Echad. Then we say, Brok Shem Kavod Machus Olelem Ba'ed. Then we say, Viyahavta. Okay? So we say, God is one. Then we say, His kingdom should last forever. And then we say, God says, I'm commanding you to love me. Viyahavta. Love me with all of your heart, your soul, and all your resources. Do you know in the Torah... That little in between, Baruch Shem Kavod Machus because the Shema obviously is, in, from, is, is from the Torah. That phrase, Baruch Shem Kavod Machus was added by the rabbis. And it's very holy, and believe me, I'm not saying anything otherwise. But if you actually look in the Torah scroll, it says, Shema Yisrael Shem Elokeinu Shem Echad, Hafta. Now, Shema means understand, understand Jewish people, and ultimately, as Rashi understands, understand the whole wide world. God is one. God is Echad. Do you know Echad in Gematria is number 13? Do you know what else is 13? Ava, love. You know, like Bob Marley sings, one love? One and love is the exact same Gematria. And then what's the very next word after Echad? Viahafta, and you should love. You want this whole oneness to work? You want the whole oneness to be revealed? I'm telling you how to do it. Viahafta, love. You want your Amuna to be transformed into Das? You want your belief to be transformed into knowing? Love God. Amen. Love God, and you're going to know. It's not going to be a question of, eh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Ah. 
Like, did you did you ever hear like, like someone asked a couple that got married? But how did you know? <laughs> how did you know? People ask that all the time. Because I love them. <laughs> so I know. I love her. That's how I know. Okay. Now for some questions and answers. What are the five parts of the soul? So it's the nefesh, the ruach, the neshama, that's within us, and then the chaya and the yechida. And yechida has the word um, echad in it, basically, or yachid, like only. And basically that highest aspect of ourselves merged his, merges together with all of the souls and all of creation and everything like that. So that's the, it's, it's the highest aspect of the person is that root of oneness that we all share. So first of all, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the, the gates are closed metaphor that at the beginning. It's yeah. really powerful. I think uh, yeah. a lot of people... Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, it's easier to imagine how the gates are open, the power of gates being open. But when the gates are closed, how beautiful is it to be able to shift your mind and use that as an opportunity be closer to God. So to thank, thank God, that. yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I guess two like little comments. Yeah. Uh, one was uh, back to the thing with the crabs and stuff, and like the idea yeah. that when someone is is drowning, they're often in a state of panic, and it's very dangerous to go by yourself to try to save them when you're not attached to like you're not holding hmm. on to something because they can literally yeah. pull you down in the ocean. Right. And I think there's a very it's it, it's very interesting. It's like when you're in a state of panic. When you're really anxious, you it's so destructive for everything around you, and you actually prevent yourself from being saved. Yeah. So I think it's another another reason to try to stay calm and slow yeah. down. And Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, they say the whole sin of the golden calf, that was all done because the Jewish people panicked. Mm. It says in the Gemara that the Sutton showed us a the coffin with Moshe, that Moshe was dead. Moshe wasn't dead. People panicked. What are we going to do? And then we opened ourselves to... You know, the Arab Rav at that point who, you know, came in with a whole golden, you know, mm. calf kind of thing. Mm. And uh, it was all because we panicked. Right. So, the, first, don't panic. Right. right? It's around, yeah. it's around, he's whispering, yes, you have no time, but it right. go yeah. quickly, yeah. get it. Yep. And, like, uh, and then you take an action that you regret yeah. almost immediately. It's right, so you need, yeah. you, need, you need a plan. You need a plan. Because, remember, it says... Hillel says, uh, if, not, if not me, who? If not now, when? So it may be, don't panic, don't panic, but that's not fully satisfying because what's my plan, though? I need a plan beyond not panicking. Sure. Cultivating yeah. tranquility, I think, is also a plan. What's, yeah. a, what's an active way right. to cultivate tranquility, to be grounded, to be connected to Hashem in the moment? Yeah. Panicking is the opposite. Panicking yeah. is basically right. saying, Hashem, you're not running the show. I'm freaking out. Yes. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's big. To, to, to get through a difficult time and not to panic is a very big accomplishment. Mm. And you don't necessarily have something to show for it at the end. But don't fool yourself. You've accomplished something very, very great. You know, the idea the, that you talked about your father's idea on Mazel, uh, yeah. just uh, something that, that, yeah. that, that came uh, that I think is very connected is the idea also of how Mazel 
instead of also just doing, the not doing can also be very, very powerful. It also right. facilitates muscle flow. So right. like you're so, in space. Yes. So kind of like connecting to the yeah. closed doors thing. Yeah. Listen, Tim gives you an opportunity yeah. sometimes where you're in a space, you have an opportunity to say, yes. have another drink of alcohol, you know, it's a really bad idea, da da da. And like, like that's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And right. that also creates like a more muscle yes. flow. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like, restraint is often the greatest action. And again, you, you can't point to anything, but you have accomplished something very, very tangible. Yeah. Do you own your neshama? Uh, no, your neshama is a piece of God. And, and I, I think I shared with you one of my favorite teachings from Rabbi Green. He said, he asked the question, who are you? So he says, you're not your body because your body stays behind after 120. And he says, you're not your soul because your soul belongs to God. So who are you? So he says that what you are is the decisions you've made over your life. In other words, what stands before the heavenly court at the end of one's life? It's the, it's the amalgam of the decisions that they made over the course of, course of their lifetime. So we are essentially our decisions. Yeah. I had three. I'll start with one and see what but I just want to make sure, I think yeah. one of them you answered, because yeah. yes. it was going to be, how do you leave yourself open to things like the woman on the cliff? And your answer was, love God, right? Oh, that was a separate story. I wasn't actually trying to make a connection with that. Oh. How do you leave yourself open to that? To how things do you like that, yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you get Eliyahu to come to you? Is that what you're asking? Not ma- I mean, <laughs> just things of that level of, Amazing. Yeah, you have to have a big schus for that, a, a big, big a big merit for that. That comes from a, a lifetime of holiness, that or or doing a tremendously large mitzvah. That's that 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 stuff doesn't happen to most people. Okay. In fact, there's a whole um, rich literature of people asking their rebbe, saying, "How do I get Eliyahu to come to me?" Mm-hmm. You know, people have wanted over 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 the millennium, to, be, to have a visitation like that. But I'm glad that you brought it up, actually, because there was a PS to this story that I think is very interesting psychologically. I was talking with Adam after the fact, and, and we were just talking about this story, and he said, he's, he said something really wonderful, I thought. He said, it's even hard for me to believe that that happened. And I was there, and it happened to me. So, I really appreciated him saying that, you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll get a little fancy for a moment, which is this, this line that I quote from time to time, which is that, from Milan Kundera, which is that reality depends upon continuity. So, one sense of reality usually is based on, well, has it happened before? Did it happen again? Like, when it's, when it's an isolated event... There is no continuity to base that reality on because it just kind of materialized out of thin air. That's why, that's why miracles are so outrageous, but no less true because they just kind of materialize and then they're there and then they're gone. And our sense of, our sense of reality requires that it should be like the sun rises every day and it sets and then it rises and it sets. And if there isn't that clockwork sort of like context for this happening to be fit into then it's very hard for us to believe it. That's why sometimes people will, you know, read things in, in the Torah and they'll go, that's so, 
that's so nuts, man. Like, what? Like, but God can do anything. God made the whole world. God, the, the, the idea of God keeping the world going from moment to moment is a bigger, rea- is a bigger miracle than these individual actions because he's doing trillions of miracles every single moment at the same time, right? But what I really appreciated was when, you see, so a lot of times we go, that happened to the extent that I can believe that it happened. But here you see that the person who it happened to has trouble believing that it even happened. But it happened. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's an exciting world. This is an exciting world. But yeah, if you want Eliyahu to come to you, and a person, a person uh, needs a big schuss. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you were talking about the yeah. trillion dollar idea. Right. My own therapist yeah. called it protecting your dream. Yes. Right. That's very nice. I like that. And um, as you know, we live in the, the dream factory. Yeah, we live in the world's <laughs> capital of everybody having those. Yeah. Yes. And some great ones don't make trillion dollars. Yes. And some not that great ones do. Listen, Van Gogh never sold a painting in his life. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Maybe the greatest artist of all time. Right. Um, <laughs> I saw you in a separate. Um, you remember when you were on the panel talking about success? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I actually didn't think that evening was terribly interesting, except for the part with you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, so you, you actually took kind of a different stance than the other members of the panel, because... You know, it, you're reminding me of something. There's, there's sort of like a, well... Anyway, keep on going. I don't mean to diss them. I'm just yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about a fact. No, I know. They, so, were, they, they said good things, and they're all very accomplished people. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, you, were, you took a different kind of stance than they did, because they were taking the, you know, anything's possible, never give up stance. And you, despite all the unlikely things that have happened in your life, I don't mean unlikely because of yeah. your talent, I mean... Well, I want to stay in the receiving end, right. <laughs> the receiver here. But you, you know, you said that there comes a certain. You said that we live in a culture where everybody's you can do it, you can do it, and I have always wanted you to elaborate on that somewhere. I've been waiting for that moment. So now I'm just gonna ask: How do you reconcile, ha- you know, letting yeah. the trillion dollar right. idea out? Is, is there a time where it's like, yeah. no, just, just yeah. don't do anything with it? Right. So, okay. So, so I think, now you're kind of reminding me, because this was a few years ago, you're kind of reminding me what I think I ended up saying, what my sort of um, point about success was. See, there, there are all sorts of paradigms, you know? Um, by the way, if you haven't read this book yet, it's a short book, and I, I recommend it. It's one of these must-reads. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolution, and it's, a, it's an important book to read um, because it kind of tells you about the history of science, and his key word is paradigm, and it's, it's an important book, and it's short. It's, it's, it's a, definitely read it if you can. So anyway, um, uh, there, when... When we talk about paradigms, or when we talk about success, 
we enter into this very sort of Western um, American kind of <coughs> zeros on your bank account, you know, type of um, definition. And the Torah is, you know, operating on like a, this is a subset, that American sort of model, if you will, is a subset of a much truer, more relevant paradigm, which is a much greater paradigm, which is the meaning of life, the destiny of our soul, who we actually are in the most existential, deepest, far-reaching sense, right? And that's, you know, that transcends any sort of um, kind of more American definition of success. So, so basically, you know, Rabbi Freeman was talking about this in a slightly different context, but re reframing the narrative, reframing the narrative of your life, which is a very central thing to do. And if the narrative of our lives, and most of us who grew up in a sort of a more secular American, you know, Hollywood, whatever it is, type of mentality, it's a pretty straight line to the bank. <laughs> it's sort of like you either got there or you didn't get there. You know what I mean? You got maybe you got something happened on the way to the bank, whatever it is, but you didn't get to the bank. And that's pretty much the story of your life. It, you know, but that is not really what the narrative is. That is not the narrative. And we've got to reclaim the narrative for our own lives, which is the narrative is, simply put, we're souls in this universe who are trying to connect with God and do the most that we can with whatever talents were given us, as defined by God, not as defined by the Wall Street Journal or Variety. And if that happens to manifest that way, great. Then, then yeah, great. Exactly. And and by the but way, don't make that the end game. It, it it absolutely isn't the end game. Right. And it can keep you from achieving the end game. Right. You know. Um, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a personal story. At at Harvard, I went to Harvard, and there were these. They didn't have fraternities, but they had something called final clubs, which were very fancy, sort of like well, at least when I was there, anyway very exclusive social things. M many of them, or most of them, for the longest time, or all of them for the longest time, didn't accept Jews and things like that. They were like, you know, old, blue-blooded, you know, waspy, East Coast, you know, patrician, um, you know, country clubs, or, you know, private clubs, basically. Um, anyway, uh, it happened, and I wasn't observant at the time, it happened that I sort of knew someone and there was one club that, uh, you, know, you know, expressed an interest in my joining, and it, it got to the election, um, and, um, and someone, probably, there was only one person who I was actually genuinely friends with in the club. Um, and he, he, at the time of the election, he said, oh, of course he's going to get in, meaning me. And he picked up and he left. And I didn't get in by one vote. And I look 
And by the way, I'm thrilled that I didn't get it. Thrilled. Because I think I probably would have joined. <laughs> and I think that that would have been a very big stumbling block in terms of my tshuva. Um, that certainly would have been considered success in certain circles, being a member of that society. And I know that one of the things that I struggled with as I was, um, you know, taking on keeping Shabbos and things like this, was all these social bonds that I had formed with people who, this was something that, you know, like, you're doing what? <laughs> or you can't do what? You can't eat what? You can't go where? What are you? I, yeah, I don't know that we can be friends anymore. You know? And it's sort of like, if I had, I mean, I had enough of that in my life already. If I had now this super elite, you know, old money, like, crowd, like, looking down their noses at me, I mean, I think that that would have been a very difficult extra thing to have sort of, like, had to take a sledgehammer to, basically. Um, so... What I'm trying to say is that there are certain forms of quote-unquote success, now getting back into the American model, that actually can distance you from actual success. So, you know, you don't actually think of success as being a stumbling block for true success, but oftentimes success can actually handicap a person. Because now what am I going to do? You, you, you're telling me to walk away from my, you know, my, the empire that I built on illicit X, Y, and Z? I can't do that. It's too hard. I'm trapped. I'm trapped in my, I'm trapped in my castle. It's real. It's real. It's real. I promise you it's real. I promise you it's real. So about the man, the manna, yeah. when you're, yeah. so I'm a person who struggles with caring about what other people think too much, a little bit, yeah. right? but in the sense of like I care, I want to care more about what God thinks of me than what yeah. someone cares. Right. So, you know, there's a, there's a famous joke about that, which is, which is, uh, you know, a person's like, well, I'll tell you, instead of telling you the joke, I'll tell you the Gomorrah, that I forgot which rabbi it was, but one of the, our greatest sages, and he was on his deathbed, and he blessed the, his closest students who were by, him with his, by his deathbed, that you, should, that you should fear God as much as you fear your neighbors. <laughs> they were thinking that, 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 that didn't sound like much of a blessing. But really what he was trying to do was to uproot this dynamic where we cared more about what other people think than about what God thinks. Right? But I'm sorry to interrupt. Keep on going. It's funny. Well, I'm going to interrupt myself even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to always say spirituality is caring more about what God thinks than what the, yeah. your neighbor thinks. Yeah. But if you do care so much about what God thinks, it kind of comes hand in hand. Like, you're going to treat your neighbor in, in a certain way that right. they're gonna, it's going to be... Yes. You know, I, like, you know, I experienced this in my own life, which was that... When my, my parents would call to say, so, you know, how are you doing? I was in Los Angeles, they were in New York, and I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to this rabbi's house for dinner tonight, or whatever it is, and it's sort of like, 
he started to hear that a lot. <laughs> they were like, oh, what's going on, you know? And they were concerned. They were like, what is this whole Torah path? Where is that leading you? You know, we, we kind of imagined, you know, you're going to go in this certain direction and you seem to be, you know, running back to the, you know, the shtetl, you know, like what's, <laughs> like that, that wasn't really the game plan here. And, um, and then, but one of the mitzvahs is to honor your parents. And when they, when, when they saw that this path was actually turning me into a better son and a more respectful and loving son, which I did become through, you know, my, my trying to follow the Torah more, then they were like, okay, this is good. Yeah. So my question, or not question, but I guess the idea that I'm struggling with personally is I would love to have a report card every day, right, yeah. of where I'm at. That'd be amazing because yeah. I'm also a future, like, tripper or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I like to know the future. But um, or I like to know what I need to work on. So uh, it sounds amazing, but then there's that piece. Stay away from fortune tellers, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, know. Yeah. I just. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I mean, good. I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's in here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but so the idea is, so you come out to get the money, and if it's not outside, you have to go, you know, walk to get it. So now, all of a sudden, a bunch of people are probably walking out to get it, and they all see you walking out to get it. So now right. people know kind of where you're at. Yeah. But maybe, and so. So that's like embarrassing on a level, but maybe they're right, on but, such a level. But you're also seeing that they're right, in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, so right, have right, compassion. Right. Say, hey, you know. So look, that's we're okay. we're we're team trying harder. Mm-hmm. We're oh. we're team not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have more compassion. And, and be comfortable with that piece. Exactly. Listen, listen, listen. A little of something is worth more than a lot of nothing. If a person is really holding at a particular level, let's say a person is not sh- holding Shabbos yet, right? Okay, if they feel a little bit embarrassed about that, like driving up to shore or whatever it is, that's actually a good trait to feel somewhat embarrassed because it says that that's a sign of someone is really Jewish, because they say that the the trait of being of shame or embarrassment is actually a very Jewish trait because basically that's your soul telling you I can do better. That, that's your soul telling you I can do better. But to pretend, to then say, I want to hide that. Now, you, there is a certain idea that you don't want to publicly desecrate something. So maybe if you're driving, say, just to use that example, not that you are, but I'm just saying in general. So you might want to park a couple of blocks away so then, you know, so that you're not sort of in the face of other people. Like you don't want to sort of like be brazen, say. But, but at the same time, you also don't want to pretend that you're something that you're not. And that that's something that's liberating. And there's something to, to resist that urge. To, like, I, I know, like, one of the things that... I knew this guy. Um, haven't seen him in years and years and years and years. But he decided that he, you know, was into Torah. And he was into Torah. It wasn't a joke. And he had, like, just one of these um, body chemistries that, like, just grew hair really fast. (laughs) 
So like within like a month of being like interested in Torah, he had like this beard that like you know rabbis would like you know bid for like like I, <laughs> no I want that beard. I've been studying Torah my whole life. Where can I get a beard like you have after like a month? You know, and 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 it's sort of like you know when he had a beard like this, and this was like I saw this beard. This was like really like this was a beautiful beard. Like you know. You know, he was like, well, you know, I got the beard, let me put on the long black coat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of like, anyone who saw him would have thought that he was a Talmud Chacham, a Rav, everything like that. The guy knew nothing. The guy knew nothing. And by the way, why should he know anything? He just was brand new to it. But people now started treating him a certain way and had certain expectations. And he started to feel more and more trapped. Anyway, he threw the whole thing away. He, he, he threw the whole thing away and, you know, like I say, I haven't seen him in years and years and years and years. I don't know what he's up to anymore. But it's, the Yetzirah will tell you, you know what, if I pretend to be doing more than I'm, than I'm actually doing, I'll be admitted into certain places and certain circles and everything like that. But then all of a sudden, you're living a lot. And it's not, the whole system of Torah, we say Torah to met. The whole system of Torah is built on truth. So if a person is just truthful about where they're holding and what they're not doing and what they are doing and everything like that, and I want to get to that place, I'm not there yet, everyone wins. They actually will be received better by other people because the other people says, look, this person wants to grow. Let me help them grow. As opposed to this person thinks that they're one of us, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but who knows? So, be truthful. Be truthful where you're actually holding. Embrace. Remember, a little of truth, a little bit of truth is worth a truckload of lies. Right? Just, and then, if you're then not living at the level of accomplishment, that you really are striving to be, then take steps toward realizing that vision of yourself. Okay. Okay. I'll make this one three. How did you know? Because I love her. I thought I knew. She thought she knew. For about a year and a half we were right. Yeah. And then after two years of double-checking whether we were right or wrong, yeah. we only recently both declared, yeah, we were dead wrong. Yeah, but... Where does that leave us? Listen, I'll tell you something very deep that Reb Shlomo said to me. I remember, I have a mental picture of him saying it to me. It's on 77th and Broadway, right? And in front of, there was a Steve's ice cream there at one point. He said to me that I have to pray every single day that my, that my wife should remain my soulmate. Who says you weren't both 100% right a year and a half ago? But, but you've got to stay each other's soulmates. You've got to stay each other's soulmates. But and, then, and, but then, and then how do you do that? Well, so, but it's one okay. thing to be soulmates. It's yeah. another thing to then get married. We, as it turns out, thankfully did not, because then that would be all the more difficult to right. know what to do with. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know the details of the relationship. I don't know the details of the relationship, but I will double down. I will double down on the premise, though, that you can turn belief into knowledge through love. That, that, I, that I feel strongly about. Yeah. Yeah.